say the hardest thing for me is just being patient with myself. Like none of us are like at a place where we just radiate peace and joy all the time. <laughs> of course, we're human, right? And but being just aware of that, I think is what I'm saying. What what are the principles of a free space? How do you maybe first in, in a physical sense, uh, a space like paradigm, and maybe we can use that as, as our example, and then we can go broader into the general principles of how to create a free space in any circumstance or any conversation. So what, what are some things that come to mind just off the bat? Yeah, thanks, Jacob. And by the way, thanks for asking me to do this. It's how to create a free space for me is like been fascinating for years. In fact, I consider it one of the most important studies of my life is how to create a space that allows for freedom, for growth, you know, especially the space for inviting the growth of the human soul. That has been super important to me throughout my life. So thanks for thanks for asking for that. <laughs> it was really nice. So one thing I observe, if I can just kind of start a little bit big, is the things yeah. that the things that pertain, like the things that are most important to people, the things that would like you would put in that, you know, Plato's the true, the good, the beautiful, the most powerful things, the thing, the universal ends that everyone desires, right? Peace, joy, love, growth, beauty, freedom, forgiveness, all of these things are not forcible like they cannot be coerced like i can't make another person be happy or you know grow or i can't even make myself be happy you know i can like put a smile on like a lot of people do right but that actually in the end will make me sick it's it's not forcible so it's just interesting to me that all of these things that we feel like are the most important things and the most powerful things in our lives are not forcible things. It's like it's against the law of heaven. You have, you know, you have all of these things that people want, but don't know how to get to, and they can't force it. So what do you do with that, you know? Right. And the thing that you do with that, in my view, is you create a space that invites it. And there is definitely a space that can be created to invite those things. So if you consider, for example, like a gardener, they're, they're dealing with a space, right? They, they're very carefully preparing soil. They're preparing light, how the light comes in, how the watering is going to happen, the structures that they're going to be grown on. They have all these things that they're considering, the gardener does. But in the end, the gardener puts that seed in the soil and stands back. They wait, cannot force the seed to grow. For the seed to grow, it has to itself swell up with water, break out of its shell, has to reach up, grow toward the light. It has to overcome all kinds of obstacles and, you know, ward off enemies until it finally can bear fruit. That's the process and it's messy, you know? It's not like, it's not a cut and dry thing for a plant. And the gardener knows this. The gardener knows his place. He's, he's not over there like trying to force up the, the stock, you know, <laughs> trying to pull up the roots and stuff. No, he's waiting. He's allowing for that growth, but he is very present there 
maintaining that space so that that plant has the optimal opportunity, the optimal invitation to grow. And that's very much how I see creating space for the growth of soul. So like in paradigm, we have a sign, we created a sign that we put in the mentor's break room that says, we facilitate the growth of the soul. And that statement for me, it acknowledges two things at once. It's like on the one side, there, there is a, a boundary there. <laughs> we cannot force the growth. And there's also an opportunity there. We can create a space to allow for that and to invite it, to, to invite it, to draw it out. Which, as you know, that's what education means, to draw forth, right? Unlike how we think of it, which is to push on. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of in a nutshell, you know, what, how I think of that space. If you're just talking about space, like start with the structure. So here I have a cup. <laughs> I can hold it in my hand. It's a structure, right? And it defines a space inside the cup and a space outside the cup. And you, you know, you went to Paradigm, so you've read the Tao. In the Tao Te Ching, Lao Tzu talks about the importance of the inner space of the pitcher, the water pitcher, right? He's, and he's saying, it's not that the, the physical structure isn't important, it does the definition, it does the defining, but the inner space is actually where the water is held. If it wasn't there, the cup would have no use. So if you think of a house, right? When you think of a house, you think walls, doors, windows, a roof. That's what most people think of. But in reality, we don't live in those things. We don't actually live in the roof. We live in the space between the walls. You know, we, the usable space, the space that we actually use is the inner space. And that space, it, without that space, the house would have no reason to be, right? It loses its usefulness. And a person is just the same as well. So I'm looking at you, Jacob, and you, you have a body, which I recognize because I've known you for several years. And yet, if you, if you only were that body, if, if we only have a body there, we say that person's dead. Like we don't even consider them in there. Like they're not even that person if it's just their body. So when I'm looking at you, I'm not just looking at your body. I'm seeing also the other things that are you, that make up you, that inner space. So in all these examples, you know, you can see like there's a structure, there's an inner space, and there's an outer space. So that's kind of like a framework that's really hard, that's sometimes, you know, we don't realize is there and the importance of understanding that inner space. So really when we're talking about creating the space, what we're talking about is, yes, we are kind of talking about a physical structure, but we're mostly talking about the inner space. Mostly by what I mean by that is what is truly valuable is going to be found in that inner space. So like that space that we're talking about, we think of as empty, but it isn't actually empty. <laughs> like we know that no space is actually empty. You know, you probably studied Einstein and his, you know, relatively relativity theory about the space that, you know, the empty space in the universe actually isn't empty. It's like a fabric. He called it like a fabric of space and time that could be pulled or stretched or impacted. And 
that it isn't empty space. It's full of resonance and waves and, and et cetera. So if you think about this, the inner space and the outer space and think of it as in that sense, that we're really actually dealing with a very different thing than an empty space. So you have a space inside of you and I have a space inside of me. Those are the inner spaces. And there's also like this river of space between us that we are both right now acting on. We're both impacting this river that's flowing between us. And we know that it has certain, you know, resonances to it, certain wavelengths, right? We know it has audio because you're hearing me, I'm talking. And in a minute you're talking and I'm hearing. So there's something that's allowing that to go back and forth. There's light going back and forth. There's wavelengths there. There's color. There's all kinds of things in the space. So we're not really talking about emptiness. We're talking about substance in that inner space. You know what I'm saying? Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. This is so much deeper than I, I well, I, I didn't know what to expect. So this is awesome. Oh, oh well, hopefully it's not, you're it's not. Yeah. You can just like redirect me wherever you want to go. I'm just kind of pulling this out about this is what I think of when you say a space, you know? Yeah. So, no, that's, that's perfect. And if you want to, I, you know, you, you may even use the the development of, of paradigm as as an example if you want okay or okay, you yeah. know, obviously you know you know what's most meaningful to you when with regards to creating a, a free space okay um, yeah it's actually easier for me to think of it in a bigger sense and then come down to paradigm if that's okay anyway so thinking about like the inner space in you and the and the inner space in me and the river so everybody is responsible for their own space for being the gardener of their own space. So again, these aren't, they're not forcible things that we're trying to put in there, but we are the gardener there. So like my, the wavelengths of my thoughts, the wavelengths of my emotions and my spiritual self, my physical self, all of these things are my responsibility. They're my, they're my space to garden. They're my garden space. And the way that that radiates out into the river between us, that's also my, my responsibility, you know? That's where my responsibility stops. I can't actually decide how you're gonna receive anything that I say, how you're going to be, you know, how you're going to interpret and et cetera. So that's it's a really important boundary to remember when creating a space is this boundary of where I end and you begin. <laughs> and taking responsibility for for my space and you taking responsibility for yours so like you know that if mom ain't happy ain't nobody happy saying <laughs> yeah yeah it's because like it's it's not just the mother but like the parents are the gardener of that bigger space in the home you know they cultivate the culture and the, the wavelengths that are happening within that home they're the gardener there if you're talking about a mentor in a school, that mentor is responsible for the culture of that bigger space as well. That's part of their responsibility. So, you know, learning how to define where that's where those stewardships are is important in a lot of applications in life, you know, in a lot of different areas. So we use this skill constantly, all of us. We use this skill of reading the space all the time. 
for example, you can probably recall a time where somebody walked in the room and before they ever said a word, you immediately thought, I want to get to know that person. I'm interested, you know, uh, even I trust that person. Interestingly enough, trust is like, you can, you can feel like you want to trust someone immediately or not. You know, you can have the same experience. Somebody can walk in and you can immediately say, I think I'm going to leave the room now. You know, those are things that we do. We don't consciously think about it most of the time, but we actually read the energy very, very often. And it's, it's a subconscious thing. So bringing that into awareness is, is really one of the biggest principles of creating the space. Bringing into awareness the reading of that space. You can do this when you walk into a group. I'm sure you've walked into a classroom and immediately felt welcome or not welcome, free or not free, valued or not valued, right? You can, and you can bring that to your consciousness, to your awareness and say, oh, this is what's happening in the inner space of this classroom. I don't really feel very welcome, you know? Or, wow, I wanna stay here and talk for a while. That's part of those frequencies, those wavelengths that are traveling around the river of the space in that room. So you can even do this like in a book, right? You can feel welcome in a book or not, depending on the wavelengths that have been programmed in that book. So it really pertains to a lot of different, I mean, we know that everything is made of energy, of matter, times light, right? So all of these rivers of energy flow together and impact each other. But am I breaking up? Can you still hear me? Yes, I, I can hear you okay and, and the connection's good right now. Okay. Okay, so like just summing up those principles are like the first one is learning to become aware of, listening to, learning from, and maintaining our own inner space. That's by far principle number one. You can't actually give or create or radiate anything that is not already within you. Like Thich Nhat Hanh, if you've, if you've ever read him, I love this book, this is Pieces Every Step by Thich Nhat Hanh. He's a Buddhist uh, um, monk that's from Vietnam. And he has a fascinating story, but he actually done a huge amount of work on the inner space. He doesn't call it the inner space, but one of his stories I thought was fascinating was he came over, he's from Vietnam, right? And he was living during the war when his, his villages, his people were being bombed and killed and hurt by this war. And he actually came to America to try to understand his enemy, basically. I thought that was fascinating, just that fact in itself. How many people do that? <laughs> he traveled across the world to understand his enemy. And he went to a peace rally. And the people there were just up in arms. Maybe you've been to this kind of rally before. You know, like they just were like yelling and chanting, stop the war. And they actually yelled and screamed at Thich Han and said, you're not doing any good here. Go back and tell the soldiers to stop the war and come home and et cetera. And, and he, he looked at them and he said, you cannot help in the cause of peace until you are peace yourself. And that image has stayed in my mind for a long time. The image of people who really want peace 
but who are filled with war. This happens to me a lot. <laughs> I want peace, but I'm often filled with war. And I cannot give or create or radiate what is not already within me. So a lot of times I have to stop and work on my own space and bring peace into it so I can create a space of peace. So that's the first principle is you can only give what's inside of you. So being coming aware of your own inner space and their, your own gardener. Okay, and then secondly, like respecting that boundary of growth. We can't grow for someone else. And respecting that agency is crucial because that principle applies across the board with growth. Growth requires agency and choice. So we can respect that in creating all of these things probably require a bigger discussion. I mean, that's a whole discussion, right, by itself. And so is this one, like radiating the worldview of valuing people as people instead of objects. That's a huge discussion that needs its own, its own place. Uh, and then consciously maintaining the river in the room, like consciously maintaining that river and being aware of it. So like bringing it back to paradigm now is kind of where you were, you were going. When we started, it was, it, we, we knew like the first founders, like we knew basically what we wanted it to look like. And we knew the feelings and the wavelengths we wanted to be flowing around. We did not know how to make that happen, right? Because you can't make it happen. You have to invite it. <laughs> and, oh, wow. and one of the things that we did is we really went through several iterations on hiring. For example, when we were hiring, we said, what are we looking for? Well, of course, we want somebody who, I guess, knows their subject. That's pretty much all that most schools are interested in. Does this person know their subject? That's not all that we were interested in. In fact, we weren't really concerned about what degree they had or how much experience they had until later, because later we realized we didn't want them to have a ton of experience in the wrong direction. It really made it hard. So what we came to is like in the interviews, we were looking for light and for love and for connection. Those three. Those are three things that if you don't know how to read the inner space, you really don't know how to hire at that school. So it kind of, it was interesting. It was an interesting exercise trying to put onto a form, a piece of paper, how to read light, love and connection in person. You know, what questions do you ask to bring that out? You know, how do you invite that? To, how do you draw that forth from a person? And how, you know, being able to assess, is that person going to be able, do they have that in them to bring forth into the classroom, to radiate out into the classroom? So it changed everything that we did in the school. That's what I'm saying. Learning how to work with this inner space and what we're talking about. It changed everything we did from hiring to how we set up the physical space. You, you remember we did the, the round tables right? Instead of the desks in rows, that has everything to do with inviting the growth of the soul instead of pushing something on another person. 
the way we did mentors instead of teachers. You know, that imagery is super important. Uh, a teacher in our minds usually is a person delivering information and the student's job is to regurgitate that information. That's not growth. A mentor is the image that we were talking about of a gardener maintaining a space of invitation for those causal agents to grow within, you know, to invite the growth of that causal agent. So like the principles we're talking about are, are applicable again in many, many different areas, actually in every area that I can think of. But within the school, this is what they looked like. So we talked uh, a lot about the inner space with the mentors. We talked a lot about giving only what, you know, you can only give what you have within you. So tend the growth of your own soul. And we did it with them. You know, like we read the books with them. We had the discussions with them because we wanted to have, this is what, this is what we want you to do with the classroom. And we were very conscious about the river between the mentors, like whatever that space is between the leadership of that organization, that is what the entire space will become. Without exception, those things will radiate into the entire whole. And so you tend the river of the relationship of those leaders, you know? And you can do it, you can do it consciously. We would stop in the middle of a mentor meeting and say, what's the river doing? What's the space feel like? And we were pretty honest which is another part of you know, creating a space for honesty to invite honesty. You can't force honesty, but you can invite it. And people would speak up and say, well, I don't feel comfortable here, or I, I actually don't feel like I can speak up. Well, let's talk about that. You know, Creating a, a space that's open enough for people to speak up requires a great deal of humility and honesty from the leaders whether you're a mentor with a classroom or whether you're like a leader of an organization, I don't care which kind of leader you are or parent, you, you are required if you want to create this space to be humble and open and honest. And that's hard to do. So, so how, do you, how do you invite honesty and humility and openness into, how do you invite people to be that way? you are that way so again you can only invite what you are so you practice on yourself like you practice yourself being really honest with yourself can i trust myself do i listen to myself do i even know what i'm feeling most people i would say don't know what they're feeling at any given time because at least in this part of the world we're invited we're mostly invited to stuff our feelings or pretend that they're not there or take them out on other people or escape them in addictions or other, you know, like just virtual space and et cetera. We're not really invited to learn, to listen to them and learn from them. So you practice on yourself, start really becoming aware. What do I feel? What am I thinking? You know, and why? Like becoming aware of that inner space and tending it is first. And then actually naturally, you will draw people who want that same thing. You, you being, you know, in that space with that honesty radiating out from you will draw that from other people as well. 
There's also other things you can do. You can, like we did, we did a lot of anatomy of peace, right? Or other books or works that show how we think about people. And really this is a huge discussion. How the worldview of how we think about people, how we value people and ourselves is like the most crucial question in the world in my view is who am I? How we answer that, I mean extended that's who are we, right? How we answer that question actually decides all the other decisions. So that's, that's a huge discussion, but you can also put that into the space. So we did that with Anatomy of Peace. We did it with the Tao, you know, the different tools to bring in how we see people and how we value people. And that really changes the, the inner space of a group tremendously. Other ways, I'm trying to think of how else do you invite? Yeah, actually, those are the two main ones that I know of. Be it yourself and then use tools to invite that into the actual space. So like books and, and discussions and questions. Yes. That, that make people ponder and think. Yeah. Would you say discussion is, oh, sorry. First is, the, first is the experience. So that person is gonna experience that from you. Then they're gonna to need to put a thought around that experience. So there's the tools. That made sense So first is the experience. I say that because some people try to put in the tools without the experience. It doesn't work. You have to experience it and then you can put a thought around it. Otherwise you're just okay. philosophizing. <laughs> it doesn't really become real. Could, could you give a, like a practical example of, of an experience and then putting a thought around that? Yeah, yes. Yeah, let me think of a good one here. So one day I was uh, teaching a class. This is a student class. We were discussing a, a book. And this was a middle school grade girls. So they're 12, 12, 13, you know, something like that. And very close. Their emotions are very close to the surface. That's why I say that. I love teaching that age because, because they are more, often more honest about how they feel, etc. And we were talking about beauty, which is an important thing for a girl's class. This was an all-girl class. When you're a girl and you're 13 and 12, beauty is a really crucial topic. What is beauty? So we were studying what is beauty. And we were studying it from all different places. We were studying it philosophically, and we were studying it in, in the classics and you know, etc. And they were writing essays on beauty. And so we did a lot of philosophizing about beauty. But one day, as one of the girls gave their orals, she was talking about how at the beginning of the class, she almost left the class because she felt so unbeautiful herself. And not just unbeautiful on the outside, but like unbeautiful on the inside. And she couldn't bear the discussion. And she said, as she went through and she really studied beauty and what it was, she came to the conclusion that she could not not be beautiful because she determined from her religious course that she was from God and nothing that comes from God can be anything but beautiful. And it 
it started her on a different path on that inner space of herself, learning to see differently as she gardens her space, right? Learning to see herself differently. And as she started to experience that with herself, it opened up for her all different kinds of, a different kind of space for her to grow in, that she started to just, the joy came in. So there's the inviting the joy. And as she was telling us about this in the oral, she just started bawling. She just started weeping. And she said, I had no idea that I could be beautiful. She said, we've been talking about it the whole semester, but I did never have the understanding that I could be beautiful. And that experience is what changed everything for her. It wasn't talking about all the discussion that everyone had said, although that could kind of put it into motion, right? It was the actual experience with herself and with God that allowed her to understand and comprehend what beauty was. Then she could radiate it and she was beautiful. What she radiated was beauty. And it was so wonderful to, to see it. So anyway, there's kind of like an example of the difference between philosophizing, putting the thought around it and the experience itself. Two different things, but they need to go together. Wow. Yeah, I'm trying to wrap my head around that. That, that I mean, I think in terms of processes, oftentimes. So how would you, how would you kind of summarize that process that she went through? It, it can actually go either way. Typically, I would say the experience comes first, but I guess that's not always true because like, there's a lot of times where you have an experience and then you refer back in your mind to something that you've understood before and you can put a thought around it. So I guess it can go either way. And for her in that instance, you know, we were talking about all of that and it made her feel very uncomfortable without the experience. She wanted to push it away. And with the experience, she wanted to bring it in. You know, she, it allowed her to bring it in and invite it. So I guess it can actually work either way as a process. But unless you have both, you can get stuck. If you just have the experience, but you don't comprehend it, you can kind of get lost with it. And it can kind of get lost inside you. You don't know how to interpret. You don't have a place to put it. Or so you can kind of get lost on that side. Or like if it's just philosophizing, you can kind of get stuck out there where you talk and talk and talk about it, but you don't really understand or experience it. You don't really comprehend it and you can't actually create it. Even though you're talking about it, can't actually create it. So those two really have to go together, I think, to create the space. So what I'm saying is you can have an experience and not be able to create it. You don't know what it is, you know, or you can philosophize about something, but not experience it. And you still can't create it. You have to have both. Like it has to be inside you and you have to understand it well enough to be able to bring it forth. It's a good process <laughs> and kind of messy. Thanks for elaborating on that. that. That really makes me think of how like a, a paradigm, it was all, it was all mental and philosophical and, yes. and logical. You know, mm -hmm. I, I literally created a, a, a principle map of, of different truths and how they related and, yes. and lots of thinking about like 
the principles behind life. But it was only when I went and worked at a Boy Scout camp as a, a climbing yes. instructor and got some real experience with people and things and, and actions and, and my effect on the world and the world's effect on me that then I was able to start to grow into that experiential space too. Yeah. Exactly. That's a really good way to say it. And that is actually one of the most frustrating things we had about paradigm. We knew that it was a very philosophical space and we would much rather have made it more experiential. Like ideally in my view, that would be like on a farm and you would like half the time you would be experiencing with the earth, connecting with the earth, connecting with other people, connecting, you know, having experiences. And then half the time you would be interpreting that putting a thought around it. How do I think about things? You know, that's, it would be a very, in fact, it was really interesting. If I can share this with you about paradigm, we tried all different kinds of stuff. We tried all different kinds of ways looking for the Olay. I think it's what we call it. The optimal learning experience, I think is what we said. (laughs) And we were saying, what's the, what's the optimal way? What's the space of growth, right? And we tried everything. We tried, oh, I don't know, a lot of different things, but like we we wanted it to be interconnected. So we tried teaching all different kinds of subjects at once. <clears throat> we tried having two mentors in there, just like spelling each other off. You take English, I'll take history and see if we can put that together. We tried like having, you know, all the, all the grades put together in one. Nobody knew which, you know, what grade they were in or I mean, they knew what grade they were in, I guess, but not what everyone was in, you know, having everything mixed or having it like pulled apart. So different kinds of, you know, different levels of kids were at different places. We tried all different kinds of things. And what we came down to in the end looked like this. There was the optimal space was created when you had a male mentor and a female mentor, interestingly, in the same space, doing the same lesson not like spelling each other off, both intent on giving that lesson at the same time. And I mean, of course they were taking turns, but they were both like, they were both in the discussion at all times with a small group of students, never more than 20, much more ideal like 12, 12 to 15. And, and then putting in all of those principles that we just talked about, how to see people, how to invite growth and um, creating the space. And that, anyway, when we got done with it, I, it hit me that it was just the family in the earth. That is the optimal growing space. And I thought about how, you know, if we could have done it all, if we could have grown like we need to, we wouldn't have come. We would have stayed in heaven and we would have just philosophized about all that stuff and not actually experience it on the earth, but it it doesn't work that way. Like we have to actually come to the earth, experience it and then comprehend it. Or, you know, we're saying that process can go either way, but there doesn't, it doesn't happen without the literal actual experience and the interpretation of that experience. And it happens best in that small group family that is specially made, you know, for that little group of people to draw out personal growth and help, you know, help growth to happen 
and prepare the space. That's what parents do. They prepare a space. They can't make those kids grow. They don't want to. They, they want to invite them. So anyway, that is the true school or the true space or the whatever. It's, it's, it's families on the earth. That's what I came to. It's families on the earth. That's what God set up. And I guess I suppose we should realize he would be the best at this, right? He creates the space and invites our growth. But he can't, even he does not force it. He only invites us. But he really maintains his space well. And he like radiates the good, the true, and the beautiful in amazing ways all the time. Which we can't do yet, obviously. But we can we can see it and feel it, experience it. So how would you how would you say a person can learn better learn and apply those kind of principles in creating free spaces in their own lives and their own interactions with others? Yeah. So again, like the first principle is awareness of self, like coming to garden your own space. So I guess questions to ask would be like, what do I feel? And what do I do with the feelings? Something to ask that we don't usually ask, you know? What do I think? And what do I do with the thoughts? You know, how, and then the different dimensions of the self. So like, we've got an emotional dimension, field. I just call them energy fields. They have a literal substance, like everything else. They have a frequency. They have a, you know, a wavelength connected to them. So you can work with them. You can literally work with your feelings, like a wavelength. Your thoughts are a specific wavelength. So like learning to work with your own fields and being conscious and present about what they are inside and how they're radiating, radiating into the, the bigger space, the space of the river. That's like number one. That is like the thing that I'm sure it will take our whole lives to figure out how to do this. But that's what affects what you're talking about, being able to create a space and work with it with others. That's the primary thing. You know, is it okay to talk religiously here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Okay. Feel free okay. to share whatever you feel and okay. um, personally or religiously or however. So the, like the scriptures say that God without compulsory means draws us to him. So never at any time does God pull us or push us or force us to come to him. He without compulsory means, literally radiates joy, peace, all those things we talked about, the things that can't be forced. He radiates them out to us. And we voluntarily, because we want those and we're designed to thrive in them, just like a plant is designed to thrive in the sunlight, we're designed to thrive in joy and in peace. We voluntarily go to him. We come to him. We love him. We, you know, we, we pray to him. We, we come to him, not out of force, but out of love. It's voluntary. In fact, no one, in my view, will ever go to heaven because of force. <laughs> you can't be forced into heaven. <laughs> you can't even be dutified into heaven. 
Nobody's going to go to heaven because it's their duty. You can only go because of love. It's the law of heaven. Love is what draws us to God. That's why the first commandment is love God with your whole heart, mind, mind and strength. It's not for his sake. It's because that's what draws out our soul. That's what helps us become who we are. This is when we are able to radiate that and come to him, you know? So anyway, I'm just saying God uses these same tools and these same laws, and he's very careful with them. Like he will not force anyone to heaven. And he probably could, but he doesn't. We can't, <laughs> but we try very often, you know? Like, I mean, yeah. if you think about the entire setup, well, especially the education system, but many organizations are set up to try to force things on people, to try to push and pull. The idea is that otherwise they won't do whatever is wanted for them to do, I guess. <clears throat> but that's not really how God works. So anyway, he prepares a space. That's what I observe. Wow. That, what, what you're saying reminds me a lot of a talk I heard at, it was a BYU devotional by Liz Wiseman. Have you studied any of her work or heard yeah. of her? It's called The Power of Not Knowing. Oh. And she talks about how there's two kinds of leaders. There's multipliers and diminishers. And a multiplier leader, she said, defines opportunities and invites people to stretch towards them. And a diminisher leader uh, kind of has this belief that no one's going to do it without me and is kind of takes up the available space. And there's different kinds of diminishers, but the, the idea is that a diminisher limits the intelligence of others, whereas a multiplier is able to use all the intelligence of all other people and invite them to, to be able to have ideas and be creative and 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 be free and express themselves. And that, that's something I, I thought about since starting these discussion meetings is how can I be more like a multiplier leader? You know, how can I more invite people and take myself out of the picture a little bit more and make it more about their experiences, their insights, their ideas, you know, any, any thoughts on that? How can we be more like multiplier leaders? Yeah, I, I actually feel really strongly about asking questions. So this, like this experience that we're having right now is a little bit awkward for me because it's like you're asking me questions and I'm, I'm answering them. But my preference is to be on the other side of this. I love to be the one to ask the questions. And so like I, I think that is one way to do what you're talking about is to ask more questions because... By, you know, by nature, a question invites people to think and come up with their own ideas. Right? Yeah. Of, yeah. So that's like, I really like that questions as opposed to statements. And then it was interesting to me that you said not knowing. You didn't say what the not knowing was, but I feel like, and maybe you could expand on that a little bit because that's interesting to me. Yeah, so, so she talked about kind of two different ideas in her, her talk. One was, you know, multiplier versus diminisher leaders. And then she went deep into uh, the power of admitting what you don't know. 
And she actually said, maybe we can come. Actually, I have a quote. I keep, I keep a bunch of quotes. I don't have it over here. But she says, maybe we can come more from a place of in, in, inquiry <laughs> and less inquiry, from a place yeah. of yeah. yeah. And ask more questions and and invite people to use their own intelligence so I guess that's kind of the connection is admitting what you don't know and she shared the example of Magic Johnson who actually no that that's kind of unrelated but anyways so that was a principle there yeah I love that and just the idea of like we were talking about before the honesty like being honest and takes a lot of courage actually being honest takes a lot of courage as a leader you know, and the, and I also think what goes along with that is the not knowing the outcome necessarily. Like if you can't control how somebody's going to grow, what that means is you don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> that, that not knowing can be really uncomfortable. You know, that's why we have all the high state tests and why we have all the, you know, the pushing and pulling and prodding and bribery and all the different stuff that we do, right? Because we're really not very comfortable with not knowing the outcome. And that is part of growing. You don't actually know when you put the seed in what's going to happen exactly. You got to be okay with that. <laughs> like you're not always in charge of the outcome. You can't control it. I actually planted a, a seed this morning. I, I put some uh, toothpicks in an avocado seed. Are you dead? That's, that's cool. cool. <laughs> that relates. <laughs> yeah, you don't know what's going to happen, right? You can't yeah. decide how that's going to come about, but you can invite it. You can put it in the water. You can put it in the sunshine and the soil, right? Can you hold on one second? I want to. I want to grab a, a quote that I wrote down from that that talk sure. and, and share that with you. Yeah. Oh well. well well, I found the one I was referencing it. She said, shift from a place of knowing and operate from a place of in inquiry. I love <laughs> which that. Which is a word I don't know how to pronounce. <laughs> yeah, I love that. So I would like to ask you if it's okay, Jacob. Do you yeah. have other questions or is it okay to ask? No, I, I think you covered it really well. I I mean, my mind was brought to the, the frontier. So I, I don't have any anything more that I know how to ask about except except to study more on this well I would like to know what are the things that either made you feel invited or not invited to grow while you were at paradigm because your experience would have been very pertinent to what we're talking about yeah I would say I mean like I mentioned the other day the, the first thing that really impressed me and and helped me feel invited was well, I'm just thinking back to the day that I shadowed my sister, Alyssa. And in the math class, we, well, first thing I noticed is I felt, I felt the spirit there. I felt like it was a good, positive, wholesome space. I felt like it was a non-threatening environment. I felt like I could ask any question and, and, you know, people would be okay with that. And I could get answers and I could search and express any idea. And, and then as I went throughout the day, just the way that the classes went, where it was, it was very evident to me that this is a place where they value human beings. They value your, what you think, 
and they value your experiences, they value your agency was was evident to me on that on that first day even. I, I remember <laughs> in the math class, was it I don't remember his name. Was it Mr. Gray or no? Mr. G? Mr. G, yeah. We called Mr. G. G. Okay. Yeah, we went out and played soccer. He said, quick finish up your, your assignment so we can go play soccer outside. <laughs> and it was that I I would say, you know, it showed me that they value your human experience and, and more than just the subject itself. So those were some things. Yeah. So just bringing out what you're saying, you were reading the inner space, like you were feeling the spirit, you were, you were noticing, you know, how you felt about agency, you know, how does this place feel about it? And you're doing a lot of reading on the inner space. So you actually brought with you in your inner space, a very skilled reading capability which not everyone brought by the way, but like that's, so that's like, that's really helpful in helping to radiate that out into the space. I remember one kid, <laughs> I just loved him, but he, he was so, he was just sad. And I was incited about having him come because I felt like the, hopefully the inner space of the school would invite, you know, some of that to, to alleviate, but it didn't. In fact, he came into my office and he just said, it's, I can't be here. I have to leave. And I said, why? You know, and he, he said, it's too happy. People are just happy everywhere. Everywhere I go, they're smiling. And I'm just, I'm not there, you know? And I just, I said, you, if you stick around, maybe, you know, it'll feel better. I don't know. I, I was just wishing that it could, but that was a really hard space for him to be in without having an inner space to match it. So this is what I mean by you will draw what's naturally in you. So like tending that inner space <clears throat> allows you to be able to create it and radiate it, which will draw the same toward you. And I, I really hope, I really hoped he would come back. I don't know if he ever did, but it was stuck in my head that he didn't feel comfortable being happy yet. So he couldn't feel comfortable in a happy space. He had to have that inside, you know? So there's some flexibility in there. I did know several kids who came in not happy who did stay. And it was, an, you know, it was a place where the river could work through that with them. And they did become happy, but they either became happy or they left. It wasn't like a very good in-between there, you know? Like, I mean, you could choose, but you weren't gonna feel comfortable in a space that didn't match what's inside you. So it's just something to think about. Again, coming back to that first principle of, I have to maintain my own space if I wanna be able to create a space that invites. So anyway, yeah, just kind of coming on, you coming into that space, you had a skill already inside you that wanted that. So it's interesting, huh? Yeah, it's, I mean, there's a lot to think about here. I, I think one of my biggest re regrets, I guess I'll call it, leaving paradigm is that I would be leaving that space. And I, and I didn't know if I would find a place like that anywhere else in the world. And I wanted to take it with me 
<laughs> you know, and, and, and you did. <laughs> in in many ways, I I I tried to, and I I did. But my my big question is, I mean, I see the world is hurting so much, and there's there's so much need to get down to things that are real. There's so much superficiality happening and and people are literally i mean not just and you know all this but people are literally disconnected from reality and from truth and it's hurting them because they don't have any substance in their lives and so one thing i'm working on with marisa is how do you say it marisa right marisa uh-huh yeah marisa now i understand where that name comes from because you served in peru didn't you yeah, is creating, uh, how can we create discussions? How can we create conversations? And what I'm realizing with this Change the World Club idea as well, with interviewing people and doing a podcast and also having weekly discussions, and then Marisa's idea to do an online forum, it's all about that same topic of how do we create discussions? And I think if we get really good at creating good discussions with good questions and creating that free space, yeah. And, you know, that's, that's how we can do a lot of good in the world. Agreed. If we have that inside us. Yeah. Not just talking about it, but like inside the inner space, okay. then it'll radiate out. And, and you're right. Like that is, that is the way that I think people are helped to move into joy and into peace is voluntarily coming to it, you know, being drawn to it. It's like we were talking about with God, right? Yeah. It just radiates that and invites. So, I mean, there's a lot of tools that go with that. It's not like you just go stand in the middle of a space and hope people come, right? So there's the tools that go around that. Right now, in this age of the world, that would be social media. That would be, you know, how do we apply this in, in the time we're in and with the tools we have? But that's still the idea. That's still the first principle is what's inside me. You're, you're giving me lots of things to think about. So thank you so much for, uh, for everything you shared. Um, I have to say the hardest thing for me is just being patient with myself. Like none of us are like at a place where we just radiate peace and joy all the time. <laughs> of course, we're human, right? And, but being just aware of that, I think is what I'm saying. Trying to be aware and, and invite that, that, those things inside us to be able to radiate out. And then being patient with the growing in ourselves like it's that's one of the hardest things for me i think is being patient growing is so messy it just is and being patient with the mess is hard for me <laughs> inside myself you know what i'm saying yeah messiness inside myself being patient with that and letting it letting it grow as it can so would you mind if I ask you one last question? Are you, are you pressed for time? I don't want to. Okay. The, the question that I have as you're talking is what, what are some things that you do in order to maintain that inner space and, and to oh, have more of the, oh, the peace versus the war inside of you? Yeah, that's super good. That's a really good question. I've thought about that too, a lot, you know, and I don't know that I'm an expert at it, but these are the things that I do. Definitely meditation is one meaning for me. That means praying, but actually praying in a different way than I used to. Like praying consciously in a way that invites peace instead of, I want to say, self-judgment 
or others judgment, you know, or desperation, even, I don't know the way we pray or the way we meditate is important. Thinking about what invites peace and joy and love into us. There's two different ways to do these kinds of things, right? Probably more than two, but like simplified, there's at least two. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't realize that for a long time. Like I really didn't realize that I wasn't inviting a space of peace, even in my meditations. Definitely reading, you know, Tignat Han scriptures, the Tao, you know, all the different things that help my mind understand and comprehend the things I'm experiencing. It's really helpful to me. And then self-care, like in all the fields. So consciously being aware of all my fields. How do I feel? Being able to put that into words and work with it. How do I think? You know, thinking about how I think. It's important. So I do that. And how do I work with my thoughts? Am I too much in my head? Do Do I need to go connect with the earth? So I try every day to connect with the earth. I just find that that is so healing and helpful to my entire existence. So I'm like in the earth running or just in the sunshine, you know, just the vitamin D in the sunshine and being, being connected with the earth Four connections. I really work on one is the earth. One is with God. One is with myself and one is with other people. So I kind of try to keep tabs on where I'm at with that, you know, Am I, am I connected to myself or am I disconnected? That's a really big question. Same thing with God, right? Same thing with other people and et cetera. So that's one way. And then playing. Playing is super important for me in, in doing what we're talking about here, like taking care of the inner self. So I literally, I, I didn't grow up in a family that played very much. We worked and we really worked hard and we got a lot of satisfaction out of that but it wasn't very helpful in taking care of the space that I'm talking about right now. So, I mean, it was in some ways, but not in others. So I consciously take time to play every day. So we do like at our house, we do, you know, we play on instruments, we play games, we, we read together. We, I don't know, we have parties and we have potato parties, you know, I don't know, just the stuff you do, right. When you play. But that has actually been a really important factor for me is playing. And the working comes easy for me. That's what I grew up on. So I think working is is also important, like a a steady, consistent. I I don't know what you call work. I mean, I guess work is different for different people, but like a consistent study toward something is important to me. Like right now I'm studying space like I have been for years. (laughs) That's part of my work. I consider that part of my work is is steadily growing toward something like that. And then, you know, caring for my physical self, right? So just the same things, running and and eating really well, eating to, so my body knows that I will take care of it and I care about it. I will nourish, you know, caring for all the fields. So I guess if you narrowed it down, I would say caring for all the fields and being present there with them. Are you saying, are you saying, fields as in like a field of grain yes but i'm talking about energy fields so i'm talking about my physical energy field my emotional energy field my mental my spiritual my social all my fields caring for them and being present with them that kind of thing yeah what do you do what do i do yeah i think 
whenever I'm like not in a good place, like with regards to how I understand life, like you're saying, I really like how you said that, like reading books, reading scriptures helps you to be able to comprehend your experiences. And that just kind of gave me an epiphany that you're comparing your life to principles of truth and, and seeing how those principles apply in a way. Would, would you say that's? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, the same thing reading for years, I, I read constantly Emerson's essay, self-reliance. I, I read a quote from it in Mrs. Tolo's class and I was like, so amazed. And I looked for it, for, I looked for it. And then I, I just remembered a phrase from that and I found the essay and I read that constantly highlighted it, you know, for two years. And so reading that, reading scriptures, I really went deep into the scriptures on my mission and listening to good music, artwork. There was a time period where I just started listing and I feel like I'm in the time right now where I want to do this again, where I just started listing spaces, people, books, and movies and music that were things of quality. For me, you know, it's all about media, those things that we're taking into ourselves, yeah. um, which affect how we see things. So yeah, <laughs> those are some things. I'm so glad you mentioned art. That's such a big one. You know, the, the, the power of art on the growth of the soul. That's huge. Yeah, I love that. And, your, and the mission also, like, that's a really good example of how like you went really deep into the scriptures, but you were also at the same time in a real life application experience on the ground, right? Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't philosophical. It was like meeting real people and having real, you know, real discussions with them and et cetera, and having not just talking about it, but experiencing it at the same time. So that's yeah. a really good example, actually. That I, I saw it that way too. I, I saw it as a gospel in action. You know, yeah. it was literally my worldview and I'm going to take this and I'm going to try to apply it to all these people, you know, on two continents it became, or well, I guess one continent, <laughs> but yeah. on two different countries. And, and it was just interesting to see, I guess, looking back with what we've talked about now to see how my inner field or my inner uh, space yeah. affected the space that we created in the I had a companion where we weren't getting along and that totally limited our ability to teach yes people. yes yeah yeah that river between the leaders will necessarily go out that's what will be radiated you know it's super hard though like to have that good all the time <laughs> yeah oh my gosh Wow, I wish I wish this conversation could just go on forever. I, well, in a way, it will, right? As yes, I in a way, it will. Live and apply this. So, um, before I turn that off, did you have mm-hmm. any any last thoughts or anything else that you'd like to share about what we talked about today? Well, I guess I could just sum up that the growth of the soul is the entire purpose of life, as I see it. That's what we're doing here, and if what we can do towards that is prepare a space what could be more important to study than preparing a space for the growth of the soul that's what in that's what life is made up of in my view like i don't see anything that could be more important (laughs) so thanks for caring about what's important i guess that's what i'm saying is i appreciate that opportunity to talk about that wow thank you so much 
Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you, Jacob. All right.